Pro Group Management. Workers' Comp that works for you. Welcome to Nevada News Magazine. On the broadcast today, we're talking transportation with Lee Gibson. He's former executive director of the RTC of Washoe County. Here for the whole show on all new Nevada Newsmakers. Get into the Carson Valley Inn for cash and getaway giveaways. Cash and free play drawings every Thursday and Saturday with a $1,000 winner guaranteed each drawing night. And grand prize giveaways including $10,000 in cash are the ultimate Hawaiian vacation package guaranteed. It's the cash and getaway giveaways only at the Carson Valley Inn. You work hard. Early mornings, late nights, and cutting hair is just the start. Last year, 9 out of 10 Nevada Health Link enrollees got financial help on their health insurance. At NevadaHealthLink.com, our plans are made for your plans. Like a traditional handmade basket, retail is woven into the fabric of life in Nevada. From big box to mom and pop, retail supports our communities in countless ways. Jobs for the disabled, team uniforms for kids, help for the elderly, and so much more. Retail employs over 1 in 10 workers. Retail supports Nevada, and we support retail. R-A-N-N-V dot org. It's the 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways at Tamarack Casino. Plus, win your share of 50,000 in cash. The 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways plus 50,000 in cash at Tamarack Casino. Now through February 25th, your good times are at Tamarack Casino. Save money and take transit. Did you know you can ride the bus all day for less than what it would cost you for a gallon of gas? Plan your trip now by going to rtcwashoe.com. Nevada Newsmakers Studio is located at the headquarters of the Nevada Trucking Association. Motion and purpose are a truck's greatest virtue. This is Nevada Newsmakers with host Sam Shad, a no-holds-barred political forum. Now, from the Nevada Newsmakers Broadcast Headquarters, here is Sam Shad. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we're always pleased to welcome back to the program Lee Gibson. He is the former executive director of the RTC of Washoe County. Pleasure to have you back, sir. Great to be here, Sam. I have a completely stupid thing to talk to you about to sure. start off with, but I think it's important, which is why in the heck are we not producing videos to explain to people how to use roundabouts? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just on a roundabout five minutes ago, and I'm waiting patiently for my lane to be clear, and somebody from, because it's only two lanes, somebody from the middle lane crosses over without their blinkers on and cuts me off, and if I'd have pulled out, that would have been an accident right there. It, and it's because people have no clue. We have not educated the public, and yet roundabouts are much more efficient than stoplights, right? And I think part of it goes to driver's education. Uh, unlike um, our, our ancestors in Britain, uh, we're just not Where trained. Where I grew up. <laughs> we're just <laughs> yeah. not trained to drive in roundabouts. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And I think uh, the long-term solution, I'm a planner, I like to think in terms of long-term solutions, is really to take a look at how kids are going to be trained in dealing with roundabouts and driver's education. You know, you go to London to Marble Arch, there are two 10-lane roundabouts connected to each other, and pretty much once you've got your driver's license, if you can go through those two roundabouts without dying, then you know you've become a driver. In Egypt, there are 10-lane roads in Cairo, or 10-lane roundabouts, and they, they, they maneuver by honking their horns, just tapping the horns. And it's brilliant the way the system works. Nobody who did not grow up in Egypt should ever try that. 
But I mean, it, anyway, I, I just had to get that off my chest because it drives me crazy that somehow we lost the ability, maybe because we eat too much in our cars and drink too much and are fiddling with all of our toys, that we don't know how to use the blinkers and turn signals. It's the UK does something I really like. They put an L on the back of a car where you have a learner. <laughs> yes. And it warns the whole world, you know, watch out, this is a learner. And I think that's something we should probably do here. I, I think so, and, and not just on young people. All right, let's turn to other issues. Um, the Boring Company. So um, this is a fascinating mode of transportation that is working, it appears, quite successfully at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Uh, point to point to get from one uh, convention hall to the other, which is quite a distance if you had to walk it. Um, it's been expanded to Resorts World at this point. There's also going to be a Wynn Encore expansion and then expanding to 58 stations throughout the Las Vegas Valley and the planning on that is moving ahead. My concern is, and I don't recall if it was the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times in the last two weeks, did a piece that said that the Boring Company's gone to bid with several different cities and then pulled out. And so my concern is, what's going on with the Boring Company? So uh, I think, I'm gonna give you probably an academic answer to this. I think it has to do with just sort of the political culture and how Southern Nevada likes to do things. When I first moved to Nevada in 1989, one of my first charges was to get a bus system started. And in 1990, Bruce Woodbury came along with question 10 and we got a permanent funding source, a quarter cent sales tax. Um, we looked at a couple of models. We look, well, we looked at three models. Model one was to figure out a partnership with Las Vegas Transit System Inc., the private sector operator of the bus system. The second model we looked at was building a public bureaucracy and building a, uh, a system that would be analogous to a legacy system back east. Public employees, lots of overhead cost. The third option, the option that was chosen, was to partner with a private firm and have that private firm come in, employ all the operators, supervisors, mechanics, and they would use the, all the capital assets that would be owned by the RTC. That was used as a way to protect uh, the public interest in case the private company failed. Then fast forward to the monorail. There was a great debate about a fixed guideway system for the resort corridor. The indecision that the public bodies made was to allow a private sector consortium under a franchise agreement that was created through the, through the legislature to move forward with the construction of the monorail. And that produced the monorail as we know and see it today that's owned by the LVCVA. I think the last ridership numbers I saw, they carry about 30,000 people a day, which is a significant number of people. So today we're looking at the Boring Company. It is a public-private partnership. I think what we're going to see well, what we see in the Las Vegas that we don't see in other communities is an acceptance and an ability to work with the private sector. I'm not sure some of these other communities where the Boring Company has tried to enter into partnerships are as um, accommodating to the private sector interests. They also are communities, in my view, that don't have what I call small layers of transit. In Las Vegas, we have a bus system, we have the monorail, we have Uber and Lyft, we have a taxi industry. We're now having the Boring Company. We have all these pieces and parts that fit together to meet a customer's needs. It's called mobility as a service, if you will. And I think um, the, the hope I have is someone develops a mobility center that will tie all of this together and still continue to allow for these private sector investors to come in and continue to do this. It it's makes Las Vegas unique. I think it meets the needs of the resort industry and it saves 
taxpayer dollars that could be perhaps used on other projects throughout the community. Well, it's seen, for example, the Ontario line in Southern California that will go from the airport to um, the uh, train station. That seemed to be, you know, a, a totally smart move, and yet that whole thing fell apart along with about five or six other projects. I think part of the reason, and I'm just looking at it from a demand perspective, I think part of the reason it may have fallen apart is once you get to the train station, the ultimate destination for the users of that boring service would be very diffuse. In Las Vegas, when you go between the convention center and a hotel, I mean, you're, you're a conventioner, you're going back to your hotel, you're done, you're there. You're going to go to your room or you're going to go to dinner or you're going to go do something, you know, at that site. And I think that's one of the major uh, advantages of the boring system in Las Vegas is it's a point-to-point -point destination, but the destination, be it the convention center or the hotel, that is a full, comprehensive, uh, destination with activities for that individual to do, and I think that's the big difference. Okay, you brought up the monorail, and I think the monorail story is a fascinating one. First of all, because they put it in the wrong place. It didn't go down the middle of the strip, which would have been the ideal place because it was bought by a certain industry that I won't mention. Um, and so it was at the back of the properties and a, a long hike to get there. Um, went through a couple of bankruptcies, and then when the convention authority uh, wanted to go with the boring company, they ended up buying the monorail, and Steve Hill made the announcement, I guess about 18 months ago, we need the monorail for at least the next decade until we can't buy the trains anymore um, because it's a viable part of our system. And it seems to be operating at this point now, as you point out, quite successfully. So you raise an interesting question. Why, <laughs> does, the, why does the monorail go to the back of the hotel? Well, at the time, that was the planning decision that was made. It was made under the idea that perhaps what the hotels would do is create a new front door. And so, yes, the Las Vegas Strip, uh, a lot of the reasons it didn't go down the Strip was uh, a lot of the resorts felt that would be a visual impediment to their uh, fronts of their properties. Um, the, the signs, the volcano was still going full, full bore back in those days. Uh, so I think the idea in, when we were working with the stakeholders group was maybe to create a second front door. Whether that has evolved or not is probably, you know, still up for debate. But that's why the uh, monorail goes to the back of back door of those properties. Well, and also there, there were several properties, including uh, the Venetian and the Wynn properties that didn't want to have anything to do with the monorail because they thought it was a lower rent uh, kind of customer, as I recall, the news stories of the day. Um, um, and to an extent, you're right, I mean, Caesars certainly has developed their convention center on the backside of those properties, the link where the, uh, the, the wheel is. Um, around the backside of those properties, but it's not become a strip per se that, that is an exciting place for people to go to. True, but at the same time, 30,000 people is a lot of people to move oh, yeah. on a given day. And I think, uh, you know, again, it's the different layers of transportation we see. We have the bus lines up on Las Vegas Boulevard that the RTC operates. Those carry, you know, probably 40,000 people a day. I don't know what that number is. So you know, now you're looking at 40 plus 30, that's 70,000, and you throw in the Uber and Lyft, you know, you're probably looking at another five to 10,000. That's a lot of mobility that's being provided, and I think it, it keeps uh, Las Vegas growing, and it keeps uh, uh, folks you know, moving from point to point. Well, I guess my main point about this was that, that under private enterprise solely, um, the monorail was considered a failure. Um, you know, remember the jokes at the beginning of that when a couple of pieces fell off and oh, landed yeah. on the street. Um, but once it got into the hands of the convention authority, it now became, 
you know, where it was pointed out that this is a very necessary part of the transportation system and we need to keep it going for another 10 years. Another little piece of history. So when I was working on some of the original plans to develop a fixed guideway system before, we made a, before they made a technology selection for the monorail, one of the concerns we had was what would happen if this becomes a ridership success but a, a very risky financial proposition. And I think part of what we learned looking back over history is some of the financial debt that was issued probably put a burden on the operating revenues that came from the monorail that really created you know, an, 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 a difficult situation. Sure. Um, and I think that's sort of one of the lessons learned. One of the lessons learned, I mean, one of the discussions at the time was to capitalize an operating reserve into the debt because they, people were concerned that perhaps it wouldn't be as successful from a ridership perspective and they wanted to be able to cover those operating costs. I think, the, again, the lesson learned that I recall from, and this is ancient history, was they did cover their operating costs out of the fare box. It was just that debt was the such debt, a large yeah. burden that they were, you know, that that had to go through the bankruptcy process to get reorganized and refinanced and finally disposed of. When we look at uh, transportation systems and we look at the projections of ridership, should we automatically divide that in half as the realistic number? Um, and I won't put it on any specific yeah, project, yeah. but I mean, you know, when I see numbers coming up, for example, for Brightline, I'm very excited that they're gonna actually build this train. It looks like, you know, this company has been very successful in Florida, um, and it looks like they've, they've got their plans lined up. Um, but I just look at the numbers and go, eh. So my sort of <laughs> non-answer answer, I guess, is gonna be, one, today, forecasting as a technical matter is a little better. I remember the forecast um, we developed for the monorail actually were the, pretty close to the opening day ridership. I think what, we're learned, what I've learned from the monorail and looking briefly at the Brightline project in southern Florida is over the long term, these systems will make their ridership projections. They do become an important piece of the transportation service system. I think, and this is one of my kind of observations over the years, this is where we get into the difficulty between how the private sector does business and the public sector does business. And I think one of the concerns I have is how do you bridge that gap? I, I um, you know, can remember people at the monorail company not wanting federal money. They didn't want to comply with all of the issues. It was a, too difficult of a burden for them to overcome because those requirements were going to put too many costs on them to overcome. And as a result, they wanted to just keep it close by and I think there was an increment of investment that perhaps would have gotten some extra life out of the monorail that perhaps we didn't get because we couldn't make private sector interest and public sector requirements for grants work. And I think when we look at all of the money that's in the bipartisan infrastructure law, when we look at how we need to make investments in our nation's infrastructure, we really need to take a hard look at public-private partnerships and really have a, uh, establish some common ground on how these rules can be modified and molded to meet some of the unique interests. If Brightline goes forward, and I hope it goes forward, I think a rail connection to Southern California would be a fantastic option for I-15 and would also allow for us to grow tourism in Southern Nevada. But at the same time, and, and at the same time, I think there is a unique public interest in that. But bridging that gap, to me, to get significant federal investment is something I still think this country and nation has to have a, you know, take a, to, has to work on. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Um, and, and it was interesting because if you go back to the origins of building a, quote, high-speed train, which is not exactly as high-speed as Europe, for example, or Japan, but faster than we normally see, uh, Tony Marnell was the one uh, when he had the Rio 
that his gaming cards, there was a huge amount, uh, the majority coming from the Inland Empire. So when people were laughing about Victorville and saying, well, mm -hmm. who's going to go to Victorville? Well, actually, a lot of people were going to go to Victorville. So oh, I, yeah. mean, I, I think that if this thing can get built, um, then it is going to be successful. Um, are you buying into the connection into Los Angeles itself, or is that a, a 20, 30-year project? I, yes and yes. I think uh, I'm buying into that. I think that's the long-term goal. I think that's what Brightline wants to do. Uh, my understanding is there are engineering firms that are looking at those issues and coming up with designs. But again, it's going to be like any other transportation project in a large, built-up, complex urban area. You're going to have right-of-way issues. Um, you're going to have environmental issues you have to mitigate. And it's going to be difficult to assemble those properties and, and move things forward. So um, it's going to be a challenge. But yes, I think in the long run, you want to get to as far deep into Southern California and Los Angeles as you can. All right, let's take a break. We'll be back more with Lee Gibson after this timeout. Get into the Carson Valley Inn for cash and getaway giveaways. Cash and free play drawings every Thursday and Saturday with a $1,000 winner guaranteed each drawing night. And grand prize giveaways including $10,000 in cash are the ultimate Hawaiian vacation package guaranteed. It's the cash and getaway giveaways only at the Carson Valley Inn. The Do It Right guys at Nevada Heating have one mission. Your furnace breaks down today, we fix it today. Why freeze for days while your furnace is down when Nevada Heating can get the job done today and you can get warm again? For nearly 50 years, locally owned Nevada Heating has been getting the job done right. Call today at 323-5585 and we'll fix it today. That's 323-5585 or online at nevadaheating.com. As you know, Reno is booming. Toll's development company is helping it grow with insightful design and development, building community with every project, adding beauty adding excitement, emphasizing our shared humanity. Reno is becoming bigger. Toll's development is helping it become better, more livable, more enjoyable. To learn more, go to tollsdevelopment.com, tollsdevelopment.com. Safety is the number one priority for the trucking industry. Over $7 billion a year is spent on technology like this electronic eye that will apply the brakes automatically. But the most important factor for safety is the truck driver. These hardworking men and women who safely move over 70% of our nation's freight and 94% of Nevada's. We thank you because trucks move America forward. It's the 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways at Tamarack Casino. Plus, win your share of 50,000 in cash. The 10 million point Break the Bank giveaways plus 50,000 in cash at Tamarack Casino. Now through February 25th, your good times are at Tamarack Casino. This is Nevada Newsmakers. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we continue our conversation with Lee Gibson. He's the former executive director of the RTC of Washoe County. Um, we're talking a lot about Las Vegas. Um, so the, I did spend 20 years in Las yes, Vegas. Yes, you did. Yeah, and, and we should point that out. Um, so the HOA lanes. Um, HOV I mean, lanes. HOV, sorry. <laughs> not Homeowners Association. Uh, high occupancy vehicle lanes. I mean, this has been a huge controversy uh, since Project Neon was completed, where these roads, 24 hours a day, um, were not allowed to be used by single drivers, and yet the public was paying for the whole road, and yet only being able to use a fraction of it. Um, was it just a question of state government, you know, being tone deaf about this, to not understand that the public was very miffed? Boy, that is, uh, yeah, I. I uh, Why does it take two years for a study that everybody can see is obvious? 
I think that's just the way, in many cases, the process works. Uh, when they originally did the environmental document for that improvement, they uh, assumed and, and included the HOV lanes, and uh, that became part of the record of decision. So that meant that those lanes were going to be dedicated to carpools, vanpools, and other public transportation options. Uh, but I do think they need to sit down with the feds and have a, once that study's done, and have a pretty broad discussion about perhaps limiting the HOV lanes to certain hours and times of the day. So, uh, so it's the federal intrusion that, that is the it's problem. The federal, that's a good word. It's a federal intrusion. That's correct. Um, Interesting. Um, well, they, they didn't do a very good job of responding. I, I mean, just to keep saying we're going to do a study and it's going to take two years um, is very irritating if you're sitting in traffic and you're looking at these empty lanes. I think one of the things we have to remember with transportation is um, it is a long-term evolutionary process. Uh, I don't doubt in 20 years those HOV lanes are going to be full of all kinds of different types of vehicles that will carry more than one person, but it's going to take 20 years to get there. Um, these investments are big, they're chunky, they're long-term, they take a long time to get to, and I think the benefits take a long time to be realized. At the same time, though, I want to go back to my kind of my kind of mantra is we really have to look with all this money out there how we can deliver projects faster so that we can get user benefits sooner you know we often hear and this is kind of my non-answer answer we often hear about how um, we will need to you know watch our pinch our pennies and watch our cost and all this kind of stuff and that's important don't get me wrong these are public funds and we have to be very prudent about it but at the same time we need to also look at how the end user is going to benefit and how we can move projects faster so end users get their benefits. And those benefits, by the way, Sam, are things like less crashes, less fatalities, you know, things that hit people at home and hit them personally and can have devastating long-term consequences to people. So I kind of wish we would take that more, put that more out there when we're having our public debates about the different alternatives and the different systems we're going to use and how we're going to stage the implementation of those systems. Well, you know, part of the problem is that public relations was killed around 2008 um, that as an industry, and it's been trying to claw its way back ever since. Uh, but with the demise of the newspaper industry and the fact that television stations and radio stations relied on the newspaper industry to get their stories, it's harder and harder to get you know, these stories out there so that people understand. Um, so I, it's not just one thing, it's a lot of different things. Let's take another break and we'll be right back. Pro Group Management is the place where companies can find workers' comp solutions that are designed to meet their specific business requirements. As regulations evolve, Pro Group takes a proactive approach to clear the path to make sure your business stays ahead of the curve. Knowing your workers' comp program is optimized, you can focus on other important matters related to your growing business. Pro Group Management, workers' comp that works for you. Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather, and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley. From Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube, and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. 
Modern boutique Ahern Hotel and Event Center sits at the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. Two floors of meeting and event space are ideal for groups and conventions. Stay in one of 200 luxurious rooms and suites. Brand your event throughout the property. Flexible event spaces make for easy planning and personalization. Take over the entire hotel with a full buyout option. Snorkel personnel lifts are engineered beyond the industry norm to an uncommon level of safety and durability and with an eye towards sustainability. They're also designed to be simple to operate and maintain. Snorkel, always at the cutting edge of progress. This is Nevada Newsmakers. And back on Nevada Newsmakers, we continue our conversation with Lee Gibson. He's the former executive director of the RTC of Washoe County. Um, so I'm talking to somebody yesterday and they're talking about uh, businesses driving from Fallon and Fernley uh, to get to Reno and how there are now two times of day that you just do not make that drive on I-80 because it is so crowded. We know the mayor of Sparks um, wants to build the roads from TRI into Sparks. Um, you have talked about the fact that it is possible to widen I-80. It, it just strikes me with these federal government funds that are coming to Nevada um, that we should be using some of that money to, to improve things on I-80. Is that even being discussed at this point? Well, yeah, there are improvements programmed for I-80. I think it's important to remember the choke point, and um, that choke point's the spaghetti bowl. And I think phase two, we've seen phase one of the spaghetti bowl get completed. We now need to see phase two get completed. When does it start? I think it started now. I know they were in final design, and you know they're getting ready to, to make those improvements. Here's my message for that. Um, don't, you know, the last time Northern Nevada had to deal with the spaghetti bowl up here, I think they got some small level improvements and then they just stopped. What has to happen, Sam, is the, the NDOT, the RTC, the Sparks, Reno, they all have to keep an eye on that long term, watch the ball for the long term, and keep pursuing and pushing those improvements to the spaghetti bowl in 395. Think of that as the heart. I-80 is the artery coming in. Your heart is clogged up. You gotta get that clog cleaned up and some of that other stuff is gonna work more effectively and efficiently. Um, I know there's also design work, there has been design work in the past, I think, looking at I-80, I think they're gonna to continue to do that. Um, and the nice thing about that is there's not a lot of right-of-way issues, but I'm gonna go back to the spaghetti bowl mantra. Fix the spaghetti bowl and fix 395 and you're gonna see improvements on I-80 and I-580. And that's where we have to leave it. Always a pleasure, sir, never enough time. Okay. Thank you, and we'll be right back. What do you count on? You count on your power every day. At NV Energy, we've always powered what's important to you. But we're not looking at the past. We're focused on the future. While our standards are high, our rates will remain low. And our commitment to renewables isn't just meeting standards, but leading the way. Because you can count on more than just your power. You can count on the company who brings it to you. That's our promise. You can count on it. Imagine a magical garden that feeds Carson City's hungry and homeless, teaches our high school students agriculture, creates hanging floral displays to beautify downtown, and yet charges nothing. It's not magic. It's the Greenhouse Project. It's real, it's growing, and it needs your help. Go online to carsoncitygreenhouse.org so together 
we can grow it forward. With Nevada's only transplant center and verified burn center, the science is here. With award-winning cardiologist and the state's only dedicated heart failure clinic, the talent is here. With Nevada's most advanced robotic surgery, the technology is here. And with the Silver State's only designated pediatric trauma center, hope is here. All because we are here. UMC. Each day, the Children's Advocacy Alliance partners with leaders, legislators, and families across Nevada to improve children's health, education, economic well-being, and safety. We recognize Nevada will be no better than the state of its children. Be a part of this change. Be a supporter of the Children's Advocacy Alliance. For more information, go to caanv.org. As always, you can watch Nevada Newsmakers 24 hours a day at NevadaNewsmakers.com. We'll see you on the next show.